Hi, I'm Stephen Apt, and here at Divine Savior Church, we believe that Jesus changes lives. And so as you listen to this message today, it's my prayer that Jesus brings your heart peace and hope once again. Uh, afterwards, if you wouldn't mind liking, sharing, and subscribing so that others can hear about Jesus, we'd be grateful for that. Thank you. Well, this morning we continue in our series called We Want to See Jesus, and what we've been doing is we've been traveling through the Old Testament seeing Jesus there, whether he's foretold, he's foreshadowed, uh, or we just see God guiding and directing history to bring about the coming Messiah. And that's what the whole Old Testament is about, is God bringing about salvation for you and for me. Because ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin, humanity has been separated from God. And the amazing thing about what God did when Adam and Eve sinned was he didn't say, if you want to live with me, here's what you have to do. In fact, if you go back and look at Genesis chapter 3, God doesn't tell Adam and Eve to do anything. He doesn't tell them, I'm going to save you as long as you do this. Not at all. God says just the opposite. I am going to save you. That's it. There's no conditions. Nothing for Adam and Eve. God says, I'm going to do this. And the rest of the Old Testament history, the rest of Scripture, is God accomplishing salvation for humanity so that we can dwell with him forever because that's what God wants. And so today, we're going to reflect a little bit as to what we've covered over these first nine weeks in this series. And what we're going to do is we're going to stop and pause and we're going to consider time and time again, what do we learn about God? Time and time again, what do we learn about humanity, and time and time again, what does it lead us to do? And the reason we're going to do this is because that's what the people do in Nehemiah chapter 9. You don't have to raise your hands here, but I'm just curious, who has heard about the book Nehemiah? <laughs> uh, Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament that for some reason we don't really cover all that often, uh, and yet it's such a powerful book. Uh, it's in the, what we call the history portion of the Old Testament. Uh, it takes place after the people come back from Babylon. So if you remember the last couple of weeks, what we've been seeing with the kings of Jerusalem is they were wicked. Uh, they uh, were leading people astray. The priests were too, and so what did God do? He punished them, and he disciplined the people by uprooting them and sending them over to Babylon. He allowed Babylon to come over, 586 B.C., and destroy Jerusalem. They were there for 70 years, and then they were released. As the Babylonians got taken over, they were released to return back to Jerusalem. And they were led back by Governor Nehemiah and priest Ezra. And in Nehemiah, it's all about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, rebuilding, there's rebuilding of the temple, uh, and in chapter 9, it's almost like a rededication of sorts, a dedication prayer, and they stop and reflect on what they have learned about God time and time again. And what have they learned about themselves time and time again? And where do we go from here? 
Nehemiah chapter 9, it's roughly late 400 B.C. when here's the prayer of the people. Oh, as I read this, it might be useful for you if you have a worship folder, if you have a pen. Circle all the times that you hear you because you refers to God and look at what it says about God and then underline all the times that it mentions the people and see if you can pick out the difference between God and the people. Here's what we're told. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. Sorry, I got one more disclaimer. We are picking up in the middle of their prayer. Uh, this is not the entire thing. I debated about doing that, uh, but that would have been a very long chapter, and uh, it would have been all of this page, this page, and on to the next page. And it would have taken me at least seven minutes to get through it. So we're just covering a portion of it. As you go home this afternoon, open up your scriptures and your Bible and read through the whole thing, and you can circle in there the use and underline what the people were all about. So we're picking up in the middle. Here's what we're told. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are forgiving, God gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, you did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets, who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention, so you gave them into the hands of neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors, and all your people, from the days of the king of Assyria until today. All, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous, you have acted faithfully, while we acted wickedly. What did you circle? 
you circled all the things that God did for his people. And it is all the grace of God. As you look at what you circled, you see many things there. And what do we see at your first point today? Time and time again, the people saw that the Lord is faithful in his grace, his undeserved love. And that's what we see as you look at those circled things. What did God do for the people? For 40 years, he sustained them. For 40 years, he guided and directed them by his spirit. For 40 years, he let food come down from heaven, manna, and he provided water for them. Even when it looked like they didn't have water in the area, God broke open a rock and water came rushing out. Not in this section, but in the section before, when you go home and look at at chapter 9, it starts by saying God delivered them from their slavery to the Egyptians. He powerfully broke them away from their hopeless situation and he delivered them to freedom. God brought them his word. He came to dwell with them in the tabernacle. The grace of God was seen time and time again because the Lord is faithful in his grace. When was the last time you did what these people just did? When was the last time you sat and meditated and remembered the grace of God in your life? When, when have you looked back and you've seen how maybe there was a hopeless situation, but God delivered you? When have you stopped to think about how you've had food to eat, you've had water to drink, you've never been without? God always provides. That God ha- has given you clothing. And maybe that's a, a miracle that we don't highlight very often for the Israelites. For 40 years, they're in the wilderness And their clothes never ran out. God sustained them. How often do we sit and meditate on on the amazing grace of our God that he brings us, his word, so we get to hear from him directly, that God wants to dwell with us, and he does through Jesus Christ. And when we sit and we meditate on that, we remember his grace, that he is faithful to his undeserved love to you and to me. Why is that so important? Because otherwise, when our situation and circumstances aren't what we would consider good, all of a sudden we get filled with worry. We get filled with anxieties. We get overwhelmed with the pressures of life. And then we sit and we remember Ah, yes, but the last time I was in a situation like this, look at the grace of my God. Look at what he did. Look at how he was faithful in his grace then. He will be faithful in his grace now because the Lord is gracious and he's faithful to his grace. I don't know what you're going through in in this season of life. I don't know if it's a health scare. I don't know if it's financial crisis. I don't know if it's a rocky relationship, but know that the Lord is faithful to his grace. And when we sit and we meditate on that grace, when we remember how the Lord's been faithful in the past, we will know and be at peace that he will be faithful to his grace now and in the future. The Lord is faithful to his grace, his undeserved love. And that's what it was, undeserved. 
Because what did, you, what did you underline? Did you notice everything you underlined about the people? There was not one good thing, was there? Instead, time and time again, what did we hear? It's your second point. The people were unfaithful. Time and time again, people are unfaithful to their faithful God. And that's what they highlight. They became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember your miracles. And what had to be one of the biggest slaps in the face to God, they created a golden calf, and the people said, here is your God that brought you out of your slavery. You think that was a pretty big slap in the face to God? Yeah. These people did not listen to the word, they did not trust God, and they rejected it. To the point where God sent prophet after prophet after prophet, and what did they do? They rejected the word and eventually killed the prophet so that they didn't have to hear it anymore. They were unfaithful to the Lord. And what did it boil down to? Me versus God. Who's going to get the final say? If God's word comes to me and I don't like it, do I put myself over God? Do I make God conform to me or do I conform to God's word? And in their meditation of this, in their recalling, time and time again, the people were stiff-necked. You know what it's like to have a stiff neck. You wake up in the morning, you just got that kink, and you end up turning like this. How's it going? And everyone is wondering what's going on with you. It's because you got a stiff neck. That's the people. They were saying we were stiff-necked. God said turn left, and we said, nope, not doing it. Turn right, nope, not doing it. And they became arrogant and rejected the word of God. Riley is 15 months, our, our youngest daughter. She's 15 months now. Actually, maybe 14, I don't know. She's old enough where she's running around uh, and causing all kinds of problems in the household. <laughs> she's going around tearing things off the, uh, off the counters, getting in the cabinets, climbing up on the kitchen table. Uh, but when we're outside in the front yard, we're playing, Lily's playing all nicely, and what does Riley do? Run straight for the street. So you run and grab her, and you say, no, we bring her back up to the porch, and as soon as her feet hit the porch, guess where she goes? Back to the street. And we do this dance again and again until finally we say, that's it. You're not going to be able to play in the front yard anymore. And with kicking and screaming, we go into the house because she's lost her privileges, because she's too stubborn that she just wants to keep doing what she wants to do. That described the heart of the Israelites. Does it describe yours? When it comes to God and following him, do you listen to God? Are you corrected by God? Are you rebuked by God and change? Or do you stubborn, stubbornly want to keep going your own direction? That is what constitutes unfaithfulness to the Lord. Here's what God says, I'm not going to listen. That is unfaithfulness. 
Are you willing to be corrected by the word of God? Are you willing to say, God, I don't agree, but I'm going to listen. My, my heart, my sinful nature wants this, and I, my sinful nature disagrees with you, but Lord, I trust you because you are the creator of all things. You are holy, you are perfect, you are righteous, and so I'm going to crucify, I'm going to kill, I'm going to, the, the part of myself that wants to do that sin, that wants to go that way, I'm going to put it to death, so to speak. I'm going to put it behind and listen to you. Or do we hear the word of God and we say, Lord, I hear you, but I don't want to do that. And so I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep believing this. I'm going to keep living this way. And we make God's word less than us. That's what the Israelites did. And that's what the people reflected on. And they said, time and time again, what do we learn about ourselves? We are unfaithful to you, Lord. And you know what it led to? Confession and repentance. If you look in your Bible, in the Bible they have headings for, for sections. Uh, not inspired, it's just the editors uh, kind of give a heading for each section so you know what, generally what it's about. This section is entitled, Israel Confesses Their Sin. They confess their sin and repent it. They said, God, here's how we've been unfaithful, and now we want to change our ways. And that's repentance. It's no longer being stiff-necked, but saying, God, we've been going this way, but I'm going to listen to you and turn left. God, we've been going this way, but I'm going to listen to you and turn right. Changing our minds. And do you know what they found out? That God is faithful in his mercy. It's your last point. Time and time again, the Lord is faithful in his mercy. Not giving us what we deserve. Because what did the people deserve? To be cast out. If you look at this list of everything that you underline, do you think God should just say, welcome back? No. You've killed my prophets. You've rejected my word. And yet what does God do? In his compassion, time and time again, he forgives them. And that's true for you and me as well. You want to see God's mercy, just look at the, the people being back in Jerusalem. Why were they in Jerusalem? Not because of anything righteous that they had done, but because what did God promise to Abraham? All nations on the earth would be blessed through you. What did God promise to David? That someone from your line will rule on your throne forever. What did he promise through the prophet Micah? That Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, the Savior is going to be born in Bethlehem. God promised again and again. It wasn't anything righteous that these people did. It wasn't anything that they did to deserve God's grace and favor and his mercy, and yet God gave it to them because the Lord is faithful to his promise. And that's true for you and me. The Lord is merciful. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he gives us his grace and mercy. And that's what we saw in Titus chapter 3, didn't we? Earlier in our uh, worship service. He saved us. How? Not by the righteous things we had done. 
but because of his mercy, he washed us through the, or he, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. God has graced us with his mercy. We are saved not because of anything that we've done, but because of his mercy. And he has justified us, declared us innocent through his son Jesus who took your sin and took your unfaithfulness and nailed it all to the cross so that you are now considered an heir of eternal life. And God is faithful to his promise. And what did he promise to you and me? Jesus himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God is faithful to that promise that Jesus has saved the world by dying on the cross and that through faith in him you have eternal life. Not by anything you've done. Not by how faithful or unfaithful you've been. But because of Jesus Christ, your Savior. As we reflect, as we meditate on our God, time and time again, what do we see? That he's filled with grace. He's filled with mercy. And it leads us to repent and confess our sin. And then, what Paul says. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is what the Israelites did too. They made a covenant with the Lord and said, Lord, we're back in the land only because of your mercy, and now we want to offer ourselves to you. We want to remember and, and keep, uh, we want to remember your temple. We want to offer ourselves in service to you. And that's exactly what Paul says. Why? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's exactly what I said earlier. I want to do this. I'm going to sacrifice my wants to follow you, Lord, in view of your mercy. We worship God when we come here, when we hear his word, as we sing praises to our God. But what is our true spiritual act of worship? Paul says it's offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. To sacrifice my wants, my desires, my beliefs, and to trust you. To sacrifice my doubts and trust you. To follow you wherever you tell me to go. I will follow I will live my life to honor and glorify you because of your grace and your mercy. This Christmas, two weeks away, let's take a moment, whether it's this week or the week leading up to Christmas, and have our own prayer like this. Let's reflect on the grace of God in our life. Let's confess and repent of our sins and our unfaithfulness and then know that the Lord is faithful to his mercy and his grace, and it's found right in the manger. The Savior born to you and me to save us from our sins and bring us peace with God is born once again. May God be with you as you live lives for him in view of his mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices to the one who is filled with grace, who is faithful to his grace, filled with mercy, faithful to his mercy, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you.
for being so faithful to your grace and faithful to your mercy. Uh, the Israelites, as they reflected on, on themselves and on their ancestors, they recognized that uh, they did nothing to deserve your grace and your mercy, uh, but you are faithful to your grace and mercy and your promises that you made to them. As we sit here today, we reflect on your grace and mercy and who we are, and we have to confess that oftentimes uh, we are unfaithful. Uh, there's nothing that you've seen in us to uh, merit your grace and your mercy, and yet you give it to us because uh, you love us and you promise us that through your Son, our Savior Jesus, that we have eternal life. We thank you for being faithful to your promises. Uh, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And as we leave here today, let us live and work to your praise and glory. Let us offer ourselves uh, in view of your mercy as living sacrifices to honor and glorify you in our thoughts, words, and our actions. Help us to humbly submit to your word because we know that we can trust you because you are like a no other God. Uh, you are a God of grace and mercy, uh, not making us conform uh, to some kind of commands to earn your love and your grace, but you give it to us freely through our Savior in view of that mercy. We live for you. Amen.